where my insight about where the world is going is that if you compare like 2012 and 2022, 10 year difference, there's 50 times more SaaS companies today than there were 10 years ago, which means that, you know, the markets are just far more saturated. And when 10 years ago, you could win by finding an opening in the market and building a problem, a product to solve the problem. And you it was enough. But today, like everything has 10 to 500 competitors already. So it's noisier. So you, yes, you still need a good or a great product, but you can't win on a product alone. You need to win on things beyond the product. Narrative, your messaging, your positioning, your, you know, the story you tell, your point of view. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there. To reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm really excited to be with Pape Laya, who is the CEO of three companies. He's a career entrepreneur, uh, those companies are Winter, CXL, and Spiro, and he's also the host of the very popular podcast called How to Win, the How to Win podcast, and I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are listeners of that podcast as well. So, Pape, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of our listeners are aware of, of your entrepreneurial pursuits and also the, the How to Win podcast. My first impression of how I would try to uh, really steer this conversation is is uh, is to try to understand how you're really uh, how you're dividing your time. So you have you have these three businesses, and I think that there there has been a bit of an evolution where maybe one has led to the other, and there's a relationship between the businesses. I'd first like to try to understand more about you as an entrepreneur. Can you just uh, introduce us to the three businesses that you that you're still currently active in, and what is generally what are these businesses doing? Yeah. So three businesses, and exactly as you said, uh, they were studied one after another. So kind of one, one led to another. Um, and so the, the oldest one that's been, it's been around since 2011 now is actually uh, it, what used to be CXL, now called Spira. It's an agency, a conversion optimization experimentation agency. So that's the business I started in 2011. And I was like the lead consultant, the face for the business uh, up, up until in 2016, I frankly got um, tired of consulting because uh, also before starting the company, I had been already consulting since 2007. So I, I think being a consultant has an expiry date, uh, 10 years is my, my, my prediction. And then you get tired of explaining the same stuff over and over again. And so in 2016, I started this e-learning business, which is what CXL is today, which is uh, okay. basically marketing education. Um, think of it as um, Netflix for marketers or, or what have you. So all-access all subscription-based uh, marketing training platform. So uh, I started that in 2016. So that's been going now, uh, what, um, six years? Uh, it's the sixth year uh, today. And two years ago, I started Winter which is a SaaS platform and winter gives you um gives b2b companies feedback from their target customer on their sales page on their messaging positioning things like that mm -hmm. great and 
Oh, so of these three, that's a really interesting pathway. So consulting had an expiry date. I, I agree that uh, if it starts to feel like you're giving the same advice over and over again, that, that could get old. You pivoted that into, into really an e-learning business. So I guess that's a way to, in a way to scale, to try to scale those learnings from one to one to maybe one to many. Is that a fair is that a fair assessment? That was that was really it because like uh, in 2016, what what the situation we found ourselves in was that we had a very popular blog, you know, maybe like 200,000 readers a month, and an email list of like say 100,000 people or whatever, and then but most of these people would never be able to afford our agency. You know, agency I think already back then was like minimum 15,000 a month, and so so it's like well. I mean, we have all these people, uh, you know, like how else can we monetize it? Uh, like the audience that we have. And so really it, it stemmed from that. Um, and we, we did a survey, like a qualitative um, research survey. Like what else would you buy from us if we were smart enough to sell it to you, essentially? And they said, um, you know, courses, eBooks, things like that. And that's like, okay. And so we built first course uh, on conversion optimization to, to test the waters. And it was a success and gave me confidence to, you know, move forward. And now today, the, the e-learning business uh, revenue-wise is um, is bigger than the, than the agency with half the headcount. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's more scalable. And uh, between these two, and we'll talk about winter last, the, the SaaS play, but are you, uh, which one now are you more involved in between the, the agency? Are you entirely uh, out in term time-wise from the agency? Yeah, I'm entirely out of the agency from the day-to-day. -day. I mean, I'm still the chairman of the board. So, um, and um, the guy who uh, runs the agency, Ben LeBay, I mean, we talk weekly. Uh, but like, I, I'm not involved. So I think there was like a one-year transition period, uh, me studying the e-learning business and agency where I was like 50-50. And then after that one year, it was like, you know, 90-10 until it was like 100-0. And so in, the, in terms of day-to-day -day involvement. Yeah. And, and today, it, it's been the same with winter. So when winter launched uh, in the uh, middle of 2020, then my time between CXL and winter was split 50-50. And I brought in like a COO type of person uh, at CXL. And, um, you know, now I'm, I want to say I'm like 80, 20 winter and inching closer to, you know, 90, 10 and 100, zero. Okay. So yeah, winter, winter is the, is the, the favorite child now by far, right? Well, it's, that is not uh, the accurate way to, uh, to put it. It's not about the favorite child. It is what are my strengths as an entrepreneur and who needs me more? So my key strengths are to make something out of nothing. You know, I move fast, I bring power, I know marketing, uh, so I can create businesses. Uh, I can create opportunity. Uh, so CXL, you know, like it's, it's big enough that it has middle management. It's like the senior leadership, can, they can run the company. This company is making millions of dollars, you know, like it's, it's fine. Whereas in winter, which is like early stage startup, without me actively pushing it, it will perish, right? So it's about like if, if I want it to become a, a big company, which it will be, then I it needs a founder. You know, every business needs a founder. At, at a certain stage when they're big enough, you can, you know, have like professional management or whatever you call it. But, uh, so that that's the reasoning. Okay. And where did the idea for winter come from? 
So it really stemmed from the fact that, at, you know, at CXL, we have some 90 plus courses on marketing and each course has its own sales page, landing page. And I mean, I learned a long time ago when doing conversion optimization work that the number one thing to improve the conversion rate on those on any page is to improve the copy, the words, because that's that's what increases motivation to take action. And so I was wondering, hmm, if my ideal customer is reading the copy, like what are they thinking? Is it like, wow, this is so cool, or is it like, you know, this is so boring? Or what's boring? What's interesting? How can I optimize the copy if I don't know? What's good? What's bad? And so started to look for a tool that would help me answer this question. And the only thing I found was other people with the same exact problem. And then I was like, ooh, an unsolved problem. Well, look at that. You know. Yeah, that's right. And so now you're taking uh, and you are basically brought people together who can who can help each other in an interesting way. And I do agree that uh, I think that CRO uh, at its essence is about really uh, message Nailing, nailing the message and the, and the motivation comes more from the words than it does from the pictures or the videos or, um, or the colors of buttons or anything else. And I, I've taken a look and our team has taken a close look at winter. And the, the, in particular, I think the pricing model is very innovative because it scales really nicely both, to, both across a couple of dimensions. One is the volume of content. So of course, if, if, a, if a larger volume of content gets reviewed and feedback, then it's a, then it's a higher price. Makes perfect sense. But then also, if you want to get feedback from C-levels versus more junior level people, then there's also that other dimension of the, I guess, the perceived quality of the feedback or accuracy based on the particular role of a person or ICP that you're selling to. I, I wouldn't say it's about that... the quality of feedback, but it's like the C-level. If you sell to the C-level, they have just a different set of priorities compared to somebody who's a frontline you know, person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily that the feedback is higher quality, but that you presumably you have a you have a more authoritative uh, uh, more and more powerful decision maker there, who's saying that well, this is what as a decision maker, this is what I'd like to see written, and therefore it's because like I mean, effective messaging taps into it aligns with the challenges and priorities of the buyer, and so the CEO will have very different priorities and problems she's thinking about compared to let's say the frontline HR person or marketing person because everybody thinks about their own little territory and so the the higher up the, the the hierarchy you go like the problems change and then like the scale and so if you really want to know what what are the top five problems the CEO of your you know target industry thinks about I mean that's what winter is like you can survey them you can understand their problems jobs to be done prioritize them and then the, the messaging, the information hierarchy on your page. What do you say above the fold and then second and third? All of this needs to align with the priorities and challenges um, that, you know, your buyer has. Yeah. Gotcha. So how, how big is that business right now and where is it, where is it headed? What's the tra trajectory? Well, it's, you know, 2021 was our first full year. Um, and so today we are like 12 full-time people uh, actively hiring for five more. And this year, the current year, 2022, is is a year when a product is, um, let's say, growing up a little bit. It's We're expanding, uh, you know, use cases and then like building out a full suite because like message testing is just one the first use case we came out with and we're adding a bunch more. Um, 
Yeah, so this it's very early stage stuff. Uh, I mean, my ambition is, I mean, where my insight about where the world is going is that if you compare like 2012 and 2022, 10-year difference, there's 50 times more SaaS companies today than there were 10 years ago, which means that, you know, the markets are just far more saturated. And when 10 years ago, you could win by finding an opening in the market and building a problem, a product to solve the problem, and you would win. You know, that's exactly how all these CRM companies and, you know, like uh, email marketing companies, all this, even in the co- during COVID, like all these e-commerce niches that blew up, all right, like uh, email for e-commerce or SMS for e-commerce. It was, it was enough, but today... Like everything has ten to five hundred competitors already, so it's noisier. So you, you, yes, you still need a good or a great product, but you can't win on a product alone. You need to win on things beyond the product: your narrative, your messaging, your positioning, your you know the story you tell, your point of view. All of this requires data to do this right, uh, and you need very fast feedback loops. And so, basically, the need for winter will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, of course, the challenge here is that what we do is, you know, kind of innovative and requires a change in our thinking. So we can't harness existing demand. Like we can't capture existing demand. We need to create demand through market education. And so that's the hard part, you know, slash also fun part. Yeah. Yeah, because when I first came across Winter, um, it wasn't because I was looking for a tool that did that because I wasn't aware of that solution. Yeah, but I got very intrigued, and so it's demand gen versus demand capture. So then, how how do you do that? Um, how how do you generate demand that doesn't exist today? Educate, educate, educate. So use all the channels available to you. And I mean, B two B today, most powerful channel is LinkedIn, organic. Uh, yeah. I'm also on Twitter, uh, and then you know, building relentlessly, building your email list, and you know. I'm putting content on the email and, you know, of course, YouTube, podcasts. So basically, it's like, you know, the idea of building a media company, the media company for a niche. Uh, So centrally, I'm starting like, what do I want to communicate to the market? And who is is my market? Who is the recipient of the message? And then through content, I mean, you know, I formulate my narrative. What is my point of view and what do I want to tell to the market? And it's not about features and benefits. It's like far bigger than this. Like how the world is changing, and like what are all the things that go into, um, you know, uh, making it in this new world. So like a narrative. And then I'm just telling the story every single day. You know, on social, weekly, an email, whatever. You know, things get repurposed. Uh, you know, podcasts go to YouTube, and and, and so on and so forth. So it's a lot of that. And as a, you know, we're bootstrapped today, and so we can't buy attention. You know, uh, as we get bigger, we'll, you know, we'll be richer and be able to afford more things. But today, like uh, earned earned media, so to speak, is is the way to go. So, I've I've um, you know decided that uh, I need to create content on on LinkedIn and all these other channels, like the business depended on it because it does. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would like to transition into into your podcast. What what, what made you want to start? I mean, I wanted to start uh, the podcast for a long as while already. Uh, what I just lacked was uh, a good idea because um, I didn't want to do yet another interview podcast because I think the world has enough of those. 
and everybody has the exact same guests. So there's also nothing like, you know, so there's nothing unique really. Uh, so that was like really slowing me down. Like, uh, and I had a couple of false starts. I mean, like I kind of started, but then like I fell out, uh, you know, didn't have the juice in me. It was like, well, nah, this concept doesn't work. And then I basically came up with like three different directions, what the podcast might be about. And then I recorded, I want to say 12 episodes and like three episodes, one direction, three episodes, one direction and, and so on and so forth. And I was feeling it out, what the, the genre and like how I packages and formatting, like which one flows better and what I think is good. And so uh, the, the, the format that I have today, which is like, it's a company story, timeline, how they got started to today. And it's a company that's killing it. It's winning. And then I add my own, you know, narration on top. I add third-party sound bites on top. Like that concept clicked, and I was like, okay, yeah. I like this. Versus, you know, and, and then I discarded full discarded full episodes that I had recorded because it just didn't flow. Like I had I had one uh, series uh, or like idea that I'm going to interview experts, and they're all going to tell me how to run my business better. Like, hey, look at winter. This is what I'm doing. Like, if there's an ops guy, look at the, look at my ops. If it's like SEO guy, look at my SEO and like that kind of a thing. Uh, but then I realized that uh, like the what's in it for me for the uh, audience is kind of like man. Like, I get I would get a lot like people like yeah. just giving me advice for you know shitting on my thing, but it's just not not maybe engaging enough for everybody else as an example. And so. Yeah, but like uh, now the summer is coming, I'm wrapping up what I call like a season one. And for season two, I'm actually going to uh, try a different format. Uh, I'm going to basically do solo episodes for a season and see how that flows. Because I have a lot of like thoughts to share. And uh, I've been getting feedback also from my... Uh, from my listeners where the best part of the, the podcast episodes is like my little sound bites that I sprinkle into the episodes and they like that. And so I want to lean into that some more. And also, frankly, booking CEOs is, is a bitch. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, they're so busy. Like the bigger the company, the harder I need to work. And it's like, and like I've had, I've had people like, okay, can you like book the CEOs on my show? And like they fail miserably. You know, uh, and so I'm like, like, I'm actually booking everybody myself because okay. <clears throat> I mean, I know people. And so I'm like, hey, can you ask your boss to come on my show type of uh, intro? Uh, that's that's my way. Like I go to LinkedIn. I look at the like, who do I know who works at this company? And then I'm like, OK, can you can you introduce me to your CEO? What, what kind of initial prospecting are you doing with companies or are, are there is there a particular list of companies that are that are killing it, that, that you have a top 100 hit list or something like that? No, I'm not that picky. Um, like for me, like whom to have on the show is like, they need to be P2B SaaS and they need to be 10 million plus uh, in revenue. So like you can't be winning at least until you hit that milestone, right? Like, <clears throat> and um, for sure, a lot of companies. Very male heavy, I gotta say, which is a problem. Like I don't have enough uh, female uh, CEOs, which, which is a problem, and not due to lack of effort on my part. Like I've cold emailed the shit out of these female CEOs, 
And, you know, I, I can't tell why they aren't uh, getting back to me or interested. Uh, and like, well, men are like, so it's just so much easier. I'm also a conference organizer. It's the same, same thing. Getting like the half of my mail lineup for the, every any conference, easy. Single email, everybody says yes. Uh, emailing uh, female speakers, phew, 10 times more effort goes in there to find people, get them to agree. It's so hard. Uh, why is that? I have no idea. I, this may be, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread into, uh, tread into this very carefully, but I, I remember hearing that uh, some fundamental differences in interviewing between male candidates and female candidates where a male candidate, if asked the question, can you do X, um, regardless of internally how confident the, that person is, they would normally in an interview say, oh, yeah, absolutely, I, I can do that. And I've done it before and, and uh, no problem. And whereas a female candidate, all things being equal, would not answer yes to that question unless they knew and were 100% confident that they could get that job done. Yeah, and I've, just I've a lot more reservation. Same, uh... And so if it's getting on a podcast or getting on stage, it, it, I think some of that, some of that uh, emotion might be at play as well. It, it could be, or the just, uh, let's say, prioritize their time better where they like just focus on work and don't want to distract themselves with like silly podcasts. Who knows? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think we, we can all agree that, that the, the, the male ego is just a d- different thing than the, than the female one. And, um, you know, getting on stage, getting on stage also feeds uh, feeds that male ego pretty well in a lot of ways. So that that could well be for me, it. like winter is an early stage startup. So really, I'm I go on a lot of podcasts because also my biggest problem, business problem, is is aware uh, raising the awareness that we exist. Because most people have no clue, right? And so every little bit helps because if I can't buy the audience, you know, like I'll I'll just try to be in a, in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at how to try to create, create awareness, and I've seen some of these themes arise uh, often on your podcast with the guests, there's a concept of, hey, if you don't have the category yet, you need to look to the adjacent categories and see if you can poke holes and or blur those lines a little bit so that you can start to reframe the problems that people are solving in those adjacent categories and get them to think that they have a slightly different problem, which is the one that you solve. Are, are those what are those adjacencies for you? Is it is CRO an adjacent category? Is a just these copywriting agencies or there are people out there that are trying to improve copy all over the place in different ways? Um, what what is adjacency for you, and how do you poke holes in the in those category lines? Yeah, I that those were my two initial hypotheses that actually the buyers for winter are going to be conversion optimization people and copywriters. That was like. Obvious. These these are the people already working on this problem, um, but not so fast. So, copywriters, in fact, see uh, a lot of them. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but a lot of them actually see me as competition. Like copywriters for since forever oh, could get away with of, whatever. No, no, I'm not writing copy, but like copywriters could write a piece of copy. And if somebody didn't like it, it was like, well, it's just your opinion, man. But now it's like, well, I have data saying that it's shit, right? Like copywriters don't like that. And I'm generalizing and we have, I have, you know, some heavy, heavy users on winter, some copywriters who are like very data driven. So exceptions, but cop and also copywriters don't have money. That's another thing. Big problem. Um, 
And so those those initial hypotheses didn't pan out. And but who owns messaging and who owns go to market strategy and who owns differentiation and positioning and things like that and and so I've moved way up up the ladder. So in a lot of companies, you know, it's product marketing the function that owns those things. Uh, but also, product marketing doesn't have a lot of power in organizations yet. It's a very young organization, let's say, and often they don't own a metric, which is a big problem. So they don't get a seat at the big boys' table because they don't own a metric. Whereas demand gen, sales, you know, they know exactly what their metrics are. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm inching closer and, you know, higher and higher up the ladder where like I'm selling to, you know, VP growth, VP marketing, VP demand gen, like these, these, these are like the best buyers for me. And so I also need to change mindsets on and open eyes on like, look at differentiation and positioning and messaging differently. So it's not something that you delegate to, you know, oh, we have an intern, let, 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 let him write the copy or let's bring a guy from Fiverr, you know, a freelance guy to write the guy. You know, like this is so strategically important. And there is an interesting thing about also how you frame it. Like if you call it copywriting, it's a guy from Fiverr. If you call it messaging, ooh, it's it's strategic, right? Like, and this is VP level shit now. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting. interesting. So I've moved away from, you know, because right. the product used to be called copy testing. And I renamed it because oh, after okay. learning that copy is not strategic. It's very tactical and, you know, it's execution work, yeah. Execution is very low priority uh, thing. It's it's really like the lowest budget item, whereas messaging is and positioning and, and go to market strategy. You know, this is what C level shit is about. Um, yeah, so, so then I'm you're talking from, to the CMOs or, um, or yeah, yeah, yeah. VP of uh-huh. gen. You know, and obviously now I'm always searching. I'm always I know how to sell to product marketing. That's I figured that out. Uh, today I'm 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 figuring out how to sell to um, demand gen. Because also, like, while most of my buyers today are product marketers, the highest spend, like the biggest accounts I have, is all dimension people. You know, uh, they have bigger budgets. They know that, you know, as I said, they know the metrics. It's a bigger, better business case. Uh, and I'm also inching closer to uh, selling to VP sales. Where, where did the name Winter come from? So the problem with copy testing uh, is, is, and the same problem is any literal descriptive name is that you position yourself as a mundane, um, unflattering, uh, like a commodity way. Like if you sell bananas in your company, it's called bananas, right? It's your commodity, essentially. So that's problem one. Problem two is that if, if you call your product a very specific thing, like copy testing, that means your product has to be just that. And I realized three months into it, oh, this is just one of the use cases, right? In the beginning, that was the whole business. It was the feature. A feature was the business. But now it's like, oh, it's going to become actually just a feature. We'll have a lot more things. And then yeah, I realized, so like, you know. You boxed yourself the, in for the future, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I painted myself in the corner, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of companies have done that where, you know, VWO used to be a visual website optimizer because it was the first A-B testing tool that has the, had the, like, the visual editor to set up a b tests and then you know it's a commodity feature today like and then now they just go by vwl right like they don't mention what it used to be it's the same idea don't call yourself a you know literal descriptive name and so i wanted to uh i wanted a name that doesn't mean anything so where i can create the meaning 
And also I wanted to sign more human because uh, most B2B brands are just so boring and anonymous. And really I wanted to go with a human name. And so actually, true story, I hired a guy from Fiverr to scan every single human name, domain name for .com and .io. And surprisingly, uh, out of 10,000 names, this guy was checking only only five names, uh, zero .coms, zero. And five .ios were available. And one of them was winter. And I had never heard of this name. And it, like, it means born in winter. Uh, and we started the company in January, or apt also. Uh, winter, like, uh, as in, like, Nordics. And I'm, I'm from Estonia, so our Nordic, uh, Nordic country. That kind of jived with me. And also, I saw all the possibilities to have fun with it. You know, the winter is coming and things like that. And, and you know, that was it. So winter.io. Later, I bought the .com. Um, and uh, here we are. Yeah, that's that's great. That's cool. Only five names .io were available. So whoever was that's buying true. all that up, did, how did they miss those five? Was it? That's interesting. Uh, they were not very common names, like you know, okay. like John is Dakin, right? It's an obvious one to go. <laughs> John.com. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, John.com. John.io. Uh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe some of them w would be available on the cheap to buy, you know, like maybe a couple of hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, I, I also c seriously considered buying, uh, what's the Dolly Barton song? Uh, Jolene. So Jolene.com oh, yeah. was for Great sale song. for an uh, affordable price, let's say. I, f I forget the exact, but I was like seriously contemplating and I thought, I thought all the fun I could have with like Jolie, Jolie, you know. Uh, but then thought that maybe it's like tripping people too much up in the other way. And it has a, like a too strong of a meaning and the idea like I want to create my own meaning. So yeah. I, I chose a different path. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'd I, I like to, to talk a little bit about some of the, the distillation of some of the learnings that are coming through your podcast conversations and um it's b2b SaaS, and you ask uh, you have a really cool intro and i think it's also part of your style which is no fluff no bs hard hitting uh you don't do emojis and you don't do fluff and and you say something very interesting how much of how much of this guy's story is luck versus yeah. timing so now you've done 35 of these What's your opinion? I mean, how much is how much is the success or the winning about well, I consider luck and timing to be closely related versus versus pure intelligence and skill and brains. I want to say luck is at least 50% of it. Uh now, every uh so luck as in timing, right right uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time and just, you know, so that's that's kind of luck. That's not to say that these people were not smart and didn't execute well like you need to execute well so regardless of the luck like all of these people did a good job executing at the dream because that's the hardest part right luck planning for luck i think is very hard um i mean some people you know there there, there are probably times like if you look into my uh listen to my drift episode david cancel goes into the way how he was timing his timing uh so he was some you know let's say data going in there but everybody else is like, you know, like nobody foresee, uh, foresaw COVID, right? Whereas a bunch of companies just started right before COVID 
solving problems that became massive in the era of COVID. So, for instance, products like hiring remote employees anywhere and taking care of their payroll, like paying payroll globally, right? Like everybody's hiring remote globally today. Or all this e-commerce focused products, like e-commerce just exploded right at the expense of read now it's coming down it's cooling down but like all these companies that are two years old went from zero to like 250 employees in two years just because you know they were like a shopify app essentially and everybody decided that they need it so like that kind of a timing um there are some episodes actually that i just did not publish because i interviewed and like these people actually were kind of clueless uh like just Totally random. I had no idea how they're different and, and so on and so forth. But like those stories where the 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 founders managed to get decently big and have no like strong or smart product strategy or anything, uh, without uh, exception, they're all in large, huge markets. So uh, another key point is that the bigger the TAM, the, the better your odds at success. Like take email marketing, which I think is like maybe the biggest category in the in the universe. Uh, G2 lists like 450 email marketing tools. I know a guy here in Austin where I'm at who, who uh, ran uh, an email marketing company. That's maybe out of the 450, it was like number 137 in terms of market share. And he sold his, uh, and it's like the, everything about is the business and the website is just classically so bad. Uh, things he shouldn't be doing, and he like he sold it for like thirty million bucks uh, as a bootstrap founder. That's a very nice outcome. Um, and why? Because every, every everybody and their mother needs email marketing. Like every human who's in business does email marketing, right? So you can go with a Me Too tool and make a nice business. And that's and 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 there's the same in like you build PPC agencies. Or you know, like content agencies, or like things that then everybody wants, and just you can kill it without too much uh, strategy. Same with like you know, all yeah. the, all this at, massive. So at that as, point, as a startup, yeah. Hmm? At that point, and then is execution about just have just being really good at sales into into a really huge. Well, town? it's a it's a combination, and obviously, like if you're if you're first to the party, uh, it's a major advantage. Like it's a big opportunity. And you're on the, one of the first to arrive to the market. Like you can get like Mailchimp, right? Like it has like nothing special about the product. Like fucking nothing, right? Like I guess it was innovative back in the day because it added the freemium tier, which like really aided its growth. But if you look at like who else was uh, out, you know out there competing at a time already, like it had Constant no differentiation, no nothing. Some of the like, early players, yeah. Aweber, GetResponse. I mean, a bunch of other tools. Yeah, right, contact, right, Constant Contact. Yeah. I mean, constant right. contact, eye contact, same like nondescript tools, massive, huge, right? Still are, still are, and like the most boring, uh, un, you know, undifferentiated companies in the world, you know. Yeah. So this this leads into uh, what's probably going to be a wrap up question, but you could so you can succeed by building a better mousetrap in a in a huge saturated category. Mm-hmm. Um, like email marketing, and sometimes you can you can have good success without without being so amazing, or you can blaze a new trail like what you're doing with Winter. You spotted a new problem that's kind of adjacent to some other categories. Um, what are the what are the trade offs that somebody has to make um, 
or the risks that you take on by the risk and rewards. If you want to blaze a new trail and create a new category, um, maybe you're doing a lot of the heavy work, you know, chopping down, chopping down all those trees for the fast followers that are going to come right behind you. Totally. Or maybe you're going to be the brand and your brand becomes synonymous with the new category versus a better mousetrap by just saying, Hey, we can do things incrementally better in this category and we can carve out a, sl- a little slice, but even that little slice of this, you know, this massive category can be a $50 million business. How do you think about that? And when you were starting winter, you, you might've thought, why don't we build a better mousetrap in, a, in a, an established category? But why did you decide to, to blaze a new trail? I'm a, I'm a big fan of differentiation and so on. And so uh, unless I had a totally a company that can differentiate and be unique, uh, it wasn't just exciting for me as an entrepreneur. I also already had businesses. So it's like, unless there's something that I can see that's truly compelling, that would justify the risk of just adding in, uh, you know, adding on one more company. Now, I mean, there's no like obviously better way. Everything is a trade-off. And I think you also need to play to your strengths as a founder um, and when, you know, deciding which way to go. I mean, TAM in the sense like how big could this thing get is still a valid question. Whether you're creating a category, like even if you're creating something new that is replacing, let's say, email marketing, right? That That's your TAM, right? The email marketing people will will switch over. Or uh, if you if you look at like um, you know gorgeous, which is like support for e-commerce, like support uh, you know help this software massive space, but like they just created a, a subset. Or like Clavia is like more than ten billion dollars today, you know, and it's email marketing for e-commerce. So like you specialize on a on a uh, you know, vertical or whatever. So um, I think I think you still need to go for as big as you know, as big business opportunity as you can. And then if you can have a different type of like focus, you go for a subset of the market. Uh, that, I think that that is, you know, that's what I would bet on. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then you really get back to just thinking about how can, how can you communicate with people so that they think about their problem in a different way and that the, the, the jobs to be done, which is a popular framework that, that you advocate for a lot also, they, they start to reframe their problem uh, all in, in, along different lines and they start to recategorize the, the job that needs to be done. And then if you can then come in with a solution saying that we're, we're, we're the solution for the, for the new problem, the slightly different problem that you actually have, the, the better defined problem, then bingo, then I think you've nailed it. And then that's, that's where you get the, the best balance between going into an existing category that has created a market already and then, and then carving out a slice of people who start thinking about their problem differently. So, and that's something I, I definitely got from uh, listening to several of your episodes. So Pep, this has been great. Thanks very much for spending the time with me today and uh, keep going with the podcast. It's, it's amazing and, and good luck with winter. Cheers. I appreciate it. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.